welcome to the Locking Castle Church podcast. This Sunday morning teaching was given as part of the Identity and Purpose series. There's a lot of blessings in this church, isn't there? A lot of giftings. I wasn't expecting to have to follow all of that, so there we are. Um, Yes, they've allowed me to come back. It's very exciting. Um, Hello to everyone who's in the room. Hello to everyone live. Hello to the future watchers of this video. Hi, Mum and Dad. Um, And hello to everyone who my parents will send this link to, um, all my family and all of their friends. (laughs) Hey. Um, Now, in all seriousness, it is great to have the word of the Lord spread, and if that's through Facebook Live, then so be it. Who am I to say? Um, We are in a series of three, and this is something that I get really excited about. I love delving very deeply. Um, If you haven't heard the first two, don't worry, you didn't miss much. Andy, (laughs) Andy brought us the story of the father. Claire brought us the story of the younger brother. Um, And when I saw Andy Pierce last week, he said, I hope, you know, we we met the three of us beforehand to make sure that we were roughly in alignment and not going to step on each other's toes. I said, I hope we've set it up well for you. And I said, it's fine. I'm going to go up there and say, forget everything you've heard. (laughs) All right. Uh, As I um, said last time I preached, I was raised in the CEB tradition. So it will be no surprise to you again that I've come with three main thoughts. It will surprise you. They don't all belong with the same letter in the alphabet. I know. I veered out of my comfort zone. So, you know, if I look a bit confused, it's because I'm looking for the next M on my sheet. I really love this parable, and I think I love it for a reason that a lot of people typically don't. I think a lot of people who come to faith read this parable and go, oh, younger son, I have gone out in the world and done things that perhaps I wasn't proud of. I have strayed from what God intended of me, and yet God is so faithful. He didn't have to take me back, but he did. Oh, love it. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Let's just be really clear. I'm not here to say, no, that's not what the parable's about. But I have the incredible privilege and blessing of being raised by two Christian parents in a Christian home, which is a blessing, and it is a privilege. It does mean... But I didn't have a particularly wild set of years where I wandered off and then wandered back. Although, again, mum and dad, you may disagree with me on this. We'll talk. But I think my draw to this parable is the older son. I said in a previous preach that I like looking at the edges of Bible stories. And bless him, the elder son is very much on the edge of this family and the edge of this tale. And I think he has two main things that he's feeling. Might be projecting, we'll see. And number one, that life is really exhausting and hard work, and no matter how much I put on, nothing seems to change. Oh, I'm already seeing nodding heads. Excellent. The more ums, ahs, ums, nodding heads, smiles you can give me, great. Life is exhausting, and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but we can often end up finding that the days are really long, that we're constantly looking forward. When I finish this project, when I'm in a better job, when my children, Lord love them, are better behaved, when my salary is a bit more stable, when this is a bit better, then I'll be happy, we tell ourselves. Then it'll all be easy. We're always looking forward because life is hard. It is hard. 
And the elder son is very much focused on work, not the blessings that he's surrounded by. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And it can be really easy for us as Christians to fall into the habit, and it's not usually a conscious thought, but to fall into this habit of thinking, but I'm doing my best, Lord. It shouldn't have to be this hard. I'm being good. I'm even turning up to church to listen to people preach. I pray almost every day. I even read the Bible. So shouldn't it be easier than this? Why is this? Oh, the Lord is calling. <laughs> Lord. It's so easy for us as the elder son to think, I don't understand why it's so difficult. I just don't get it. And the trouble is, is the elder son is putting in all this work and he's already got the inheritance. Everything he's living in and surrounding by is owned by him. And this is a very practical fact. Because as we heard last week, the younger son has liquidated the rest. (laughs) It's gone. Every field he walks in, every room he sits in, every servant he goes around, he's the one. It's his. He should know that. There's a phrase that's, I think, a little bit more common in America, but I'm going to bring it here. The here already and the not yet. I don't know if anyone's heard of that. It's this challenge that we find ourselves in as Christians because Jesus has come. Great. Excellent. Tick. Love that. Big fan. He came and he died on the cross. Okay. Not so great. He rose. Excellent. He leaves the spirit and I can just imagine the apostles going, oh, well, it's going to be plain sailing from here on in. I mean, how hard can it possibly be? Because God has come in human form. He says it is finished. He has done the hard work, the hard work that the elder son is slaving where Jesus has done. And yet we live in this really odd period of time as Christians. We are a generation that lives in this between time. Jesus' kingdom is here already, but the kingdom of heaven is not yet here. And that's a real challenge for us. Because we know that God is good and he has completed his work, but I'm not seeing singing angels in the heavens, and I know people who are sick, and people who get made redundant, and people who struggle. So why is God's kingdom in that? Unfortunately, being part of the family of God does not mean the end of hard work. Sorry if I'm the first person to tell you that. And that's internal work on yourself through the Spirit, but it's external work for others. It's our communities. Even Jesus, and I feel like he's probably the authority on this, said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Not, no worries, Emily, I will take that burden from you, fear not. No more hard work for you, which I very much wish he had said and will be taking up with him later. The elder son had everything all the time, and he took it for granted. And I think this feeds into a theme we see a lot in the Bible all the way back to Exodus, maybe a little earlier, but I think it's really strong in Exodus. Muttering, mumbling, grumbling. I'm not sure what your translation says, but the Israelites are very good at that. And it turns out 
So are we. Humanity has not changed that much. Technology may have, but we have not. And I think the second thing that the elder brother is thinking and feeling, and this is something that I'm sure we've all thought and felt, this is so unfair. Yeah, not just me, it's good to know. It's so easy for him to look at his younger brother and be like, okay, so you get half, not your third, half of the inheritance, and you get to go and do all the stuff we're not allowed to do, and you get to enjoy it, and now you get to come back, and it's like it never happened. But I've been good. How is that fair? I'm going to go on a tangent now. I want you to stay with me. We're going to Deuteronomy. Don't panic. I can see the panic. Don't panic. It's Deuteronomy. It's all right. It's just the Old Testament. God's still there. All right. Jesus is and was the Word of God, the Word made flesh, which is probably why he was able to memorize and quote so much of the Old Testament, far more than I've ever been able to do. In fact, Deuteronomy is the Old Testament book that is most quoted in the New Testament. And that's because Jesus is the completion of the law. And it may surprise you, surprise the hell out of me, that I don't think this parable is in isolation. I think it's a reflection and a completion of something in Deuteronomy. Now, you can be the judge of this, I'm going to read it to you. It's not long, fair not. It's about four verses. And this is the Lord speaking through Moses just before Moses is going to die. And Moses knows this. So he's doing everything he can to prepare the Israelites for life in the promised land. So he's giving out some instructions. You know, if this, then that. And this section is called A Rebellious Son. Oh, it's a theme here. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them. Ringing any bells? Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. I think you can see the parallels. I hope I'm not the only one spotting the parallels here. And so Moses then goes on to give instruction on how this should be dealt with. You ready? Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. Not what you were expecting, was it? And that's it. That's the whole section on how to deal with that son. That's it. Uh, I can see a lot of sons in the room going, oh, Mother's Day is coming up. So if you're a Jew sitting, listening to Jesus, having a bite to eat, he says, oh, I'll tell you a story about a lost son who was rebellious and he was wild. Everyone's going, mm, I know exactly how this is getting brilliant. I, I know this one. I know this one. And then you stone him. And Jesus is like, This was so radical. This was a complete unpicking of the law, capital L, 
and it would have shocked people. In the passage that was read, the youngest son says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Not just I've been rebellious, but I've sinned against God. Why is that? Because he broke one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. And the punishment for that is death. Seeing all serious faces. It's serious stuff. And I think it's really easy for us when we read the New Testament and we don't reflect back on the Old Testament to see, we will almost forget that the wages of sin are death. Blood is a repayment and a sacrificial connection back to God. There's a reason that we have a whole book, Leviticus, that's pretty much about sacrifice. My favorite book of the Bible. One day I will talk to you all about Leviticus and we'll lock the doors so you can't leave. (laughs) God spends hundreds of years trying to explain to his people, look, if you mess up, there's a way back to me, but it involves blood. We go back, right back to Genesis, the fall. What happens? God kills animals and uses their skins to cover their nakedness. Blood must be spilt. Thank the Lord that Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, came and spilled his blood. And that's why I think this parable can end differently. And the older son must have been furious. I know what's meant to happen to him. And it's not a party, all right? I think it's very common, and I certainly read into the eldest son, that he's probably sitting there thinking, where's my reward? How long am I going to be waiting for that? And I think in different guises, we all fall into that trap. How long will I have to stay at this job I don't like? How long will I keep praying for healing and not see anything change? How long will I pray for my partner, my children, my parents, my friends, until they know you, Lord? How long? It's going to relieve you all to hear you are not alone. This is a generational issue. In fact, I started going through the Bible looking for how long. Turns out, didn't have time in this sermon. Here are some of my top four, five favorites. Psalm 13:1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 6.3, how long, Lord, how long? Psalm 10.1, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Psalm 25.16, how long, Lord, will you just look on? Psalm 44.24, awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Psalm 89.46, how long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Lamentation says, why do you forget us? How long will you forsake us? Habakkuk, first one, chapter one, which feels like it's been taken right out of my quiet time. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Even at the end of Revelation, Revelation 6.10, they shouted in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge us? Because we have this sense, don't we, of what's right and what's wrong, what's unfair, what's unjust, turns out two people in a relationship often have the same problem because God 
quite asks this question of us in the Bible. God says in Psalm 82, how long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Jeremiah 4 says, how long must I see your battle standard and hear the sound of your trumpet? Jeremiah 23 says, how long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? God had generations of crying out to us, how long was it until we would turn to him? How long was it until we trust him? How long until we desire his connection and his presence in our lives as much as he desires us? Poor old Jesus must have been exhausted by the time he came down to earth because in Matthew 17 he says, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long must I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Which to me sounds like someone who is real tired. Hard work and it's unfair. Those are the two things that I think the elder son cries out in his heart. But what I think he forgets and what I think we can all forget is that he already has a place in the father's house. He's working so hard. He's working to earn an inheritance he's already been given. He's working hard to gain affection from a father that already loves him. He's working hard to feel something of the outside of life, what he knows he should be feeling on the inside. I used to think prodigal meant lost because of the different ways that that section of the Bible is translated. And then I used to think prodigal meant returning because I just guessed, I didn't actually know. I was like, what do you mean return, so returning? But I looked it up and as we had last week, it's spendthrift. Now, the younger son is very obviously a spendthrift of money, but I actually think there are two prodigal sons in this story. And I think the elder son is incredibly spendthrift of God's presence, his father's presence. He has access to the father at any time. And yet he doesn't seem to value it. He doesn't seem to understand that he has it. He's so frustrated that when he arrives and hears a great party going on, he doesn't go in and say, what is going on? He waits at the door, he calls a servant and says, what is going on? He doesn't even feel a close enough part of this family that he can step through a doorway. This series is about identity and purpose, and I think the older son is sometimes all of us. We all have those moments of crying, why is this so hard? We all have moments of saying, why is it taking so long? But the answer's right there. Verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. The father tells us who we are. The Bible is a love story of God telling us who we are, and why he came, and why it hurt him, and yet he did it. And the story ends there. We don't get the older son's response. We don't know. The elder son is perpetually standing in the doorway, half in and half out. And I'm going to end with this. The younger son goes off and encounters a famine. And I believe outside those doors there is a famine. There are people out there working really hard to feel fulfilled. 
and it's so unfair that nothing they have satisfies. There's a famine of kindness and joy and peace, things that we all crave and we all pray for day in, day out. We have the inheritance. We, the church, already have access to the Father. We, the church, already live in the splendor of his kingdom. We are the inheritance, and God claims us as his own. And in what I think is beautiful literary irony, we become God's house when he places his spirit in us, the ultimate inheritance. We are the house. We are the party, if you will. And it's really easy to hold on to that and say, well, we've got it. But I think we are called to share it, to step out into the famine and say, what you have doesn't satisfy. We know why. And that is going to look very different to each of us. Please see 20 previous sermons on the front line. We're all in different places, but I think we'd be losing out if we end this series looking in and don't look out. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about Locking Castle Church, please visit our website at lockingcastlechurch.org.